Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, Pulsecast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of Pulsecast. Hi, and welcome back to IAOP's OWS 2.0 Pulsecast series. I'm Amanda Safdar. Today's session is brought to us by Jan-Eric Acey and Stanton Jones of ISG. In this session, the team takes a deep dive into how digital disrupts outsourcing. Listen in as they help delegates understand the new value added by emerging delivery models. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm Jan-Eric Acey. I'm research director at ISG. Many of you may know ISG as an advisory firm, but for the last four years, we've also stood up a research firm, and we write a lot of research. Stanton and I are both colleagues um, as principal analysts, so we write the research, but we also lead different parts of the research team. Stanton's focus is more trying to understand from our advisors as well as directly from our clients what they're thinking, what are the trends, um, what's impacting their decision making. My team concentrates more from the provider side, understanding what actions are they taking, um, what investments are they making, we speak to about 1,000 different providers per year and cover about 20 plus uh, different service line studies that we, we then write and report to both our advisors as well as to the general public. So what we're gonna talk to you about today is really uh, the output of two specific studies. One of them on digital workplace of the future and a second one on digital business transformation. So one of them is more inward focused as companies are trying to stand up their workplace services. How are they digitizing that to make it more attractive to new talent as well as to their existing clients? Business, uh, digital business transformation is what um, enterprises are doing outside. How are they digitizing their applications? How are they making um, their services more digital for their end users? So we're going to rely on both of those studies to, to tell you from both standpoints what, what's going on. So, um, <clears throat> so what we're going to really concentrate on is what has changed as a result of, of this. <clears throat> Why is it happening now? Uh, what are we hearing both from the client side as well as from the providers? What do we believe the impact will be not only to <clears throat> the relationships but also to outsourcing in general? Then finally, what do we think you should do about it? So Stanton, um, we heard a lot about this in the research that we've done. We also conduct uh, a quarterly index to the financial advisors once a quarter. Do you want to just talk about how you've seen that actually play out in the contracts that we are tracking once per quarter? Sure. Uh, thanks, John Eric, and hi everyone. And thank you so much for sticking around. You know, we're never really sure with the last session of the day if there's actually going to be anybody here. So you came back. So thank you so much. <coughs> By the way, I do have to mention um, we have a booth in the uh, Global Services Mall, and I'll tell you, I have to tell you that the hottest item that really I think in that whole Services Mall is the socks that we are giving away. So I'm demoing the ISG socks to you right now. So if you're interested in a really cool pair of socks, make sure and, and make it over to our booth. It's probably the first time you've ever seen a pair of socks at an event. So. See, I don't think yeah. I agree with you, Stanton. The other thing that we're doing, which is very attractive, is that we are giving away additional ribbons. So <laughs> if you take the survey that's available, and by the way, there is a little card back on the water coolers that you can take away, and there's a, Q, uh, a, a QR code that you can just, with your cell phone, take this survey. 
It's mainly directed towards enterprises because we want to know what is your digital experience, how mature are you, and we actually have a little badge to give you or a little ribbon based on what your maturity is. You can always lie and take the ones that are <laughs> most mature, but you know that's up to you. So just just so you know, there's there's these as well. Right. right. So we got lots of swag. So go see our booth. Um, okay. So thank you again very much. So I thought what we would do. Um, is kind of give you a really quick flyby of the outsourcing market as a whole. Um, you know, we're quite bullish on what we're seeing with our clients as it relates to their digital transformations. Um, and, and I think a lot of times, though, as um, you know, we work with our clients, we kind of get down in the weeds, right? We're helping them solve individual problems, and a lot of times what we don't do is step back and say, what's really happening across the market? Um, I'm excited because uh, my, a good friend of mine, Ed Queso, is sitting in the audience right now. So Ed is an equity analyst with Wells Fargo, and Ed sits in on our quarterly index calls. So this data is actually quite familiar to him. Um, so the index is ISG's um, long running. We've been doing this for 69 consecutive quarters. I haven't been involved in all of those, but I've been involved in a lot of them. It's my favorite part of my job because we get to step back and really kind of take a snapshot of what's happening in the market. Um, and that really is the connection between buyers and sellers of IT services. ISG has the privilege to advise on over 10 billion of TCV every year, hundreds of contracts, so that gives us, we think, a really unique insight into what's happening between enterprises as they buy IT and business services. So what I'm gonna show you here real quick is a super high-level uh, high flyby of the market in general and how we think digital is impacting that. So you'll see here, the, um, this is what we call the combined market. We measure the market by ACV, so annual contract value. We don't tend to look at um, like revenues and things like that, we're looking at actually the contract value. So if you're on the enterprise side, these are the contracts that you are signing with service providers in aggregate. If you look at the combined market, um, that total market was up about 10% over 2018. So this is a healthy market, and I'm going to describe to you the two baskets that are within this market here in just a second. It's a healthy market that is growing, and it's growing by double digits. That means enterprises are buying more technology services, and service providers have more services for you to buy, which is fantastic. The first kind of basket that's within this market that we track is as a service. This is an area we added maybe five or six years ago, and so this covers companies like Amazon Web Services, covers Microsoft's cloud business, um, Google, uh, Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, the, a lot of the large uh, software as a service vendors, but also a really long tail of about an, another 500 software as a service vendors. So we track the as a service market, but we track it uh, by annual contract value r rather than by revenues, because we're interested in how much buying activity is happening in the market. Um, as you can see here, that's a really super robust market. Year over year, that grew by 21%. So, I think you would all probably say, whether you're on the, the service provider side or on the client side, cloud is exploding and it continues to explode. The second part of the market is what we call managed services. Um, we started calling this managed services about two years ago. Before that, we called it sourcing. And before that, we called it outsourcing. So this is the market that we've all kind of been in, whether you're on the buy or sell side for the past couple of decades. So if you think about traditional tower-based services like workplace services or ADM or um, data center or network. Those are the kinds of services that you can buy uh, from the market. That market, as you can see, is relatively flat. Grew 2% year over year. What's really interesting here is that there was a lot of pundits over the past few years that have said this is going to start to do this. 
And what we have seen is that that's actually not happening. And the managed services market is staying right now pretty flat. Um, but there's also a lot of contracting activity. Eight of the last 12 quarters, we've seen over 400 contracts in that basket. There's a lot of buying of technology services happening in the market. You, if you're on the buy side, are buying more. Service providers have more services, so there's more activity happening. It's just not growing at, as fast as it used to. But what's really interesting is that we started looking into um, the managed services market, but then specifically digital as it relates to managed services. So we're not talking about the cloud native providers here. We're talking about the adoption of cloud, narrow AI, IoT, et cetera, within the context of a managed services agreement. And so what we're seeing is that we think this number is actually sort of flatlined, and we're now seeing, as you can see there, a 14% increase in the average deal size on the managed services side when there is digital in scope. So the message here, I know this is a lot of data really quickly, but the message here is that, um, you know, as I said earlier, there was some punditry that the outsourcing market is dying or is dead. Absolutely not the case. It is growing and it's going to continue to grow and we believe that the pie is getting bigger for everyone, for both buyers of technology services, the opportunities that that creates for you, to buy better services, cheaper services, faster services, but it's also a really good market for service providers that can adopt to this market. One more quick data point, and I'm gonna hand it back off to Jan Eric again, just trying to kind of set the context for where we are in terms of our uh, market, whether you're on the buy or, or sell side. Um, we also looked at this impact of digital uh, and how that's changing um, incumbency. So what we did is, as I mentioned, ISG has the opportunity to help um, a number of large organizations you know, work through and, and advise them on their technology buying decisions. So we looked at you know, a few hundred contracts over the past three years, and we specifically looked at those contracts where um, you know, ISG advised, and we kind of broke it down into two buckets. And there's a, about a third of those contracts were sole source. So after, and I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that these were competitive contracts that were basically said, the contract is either ending or I'm in the middle of my contract and I want to recompete it. Um, a third of those were uh, sole source. Two thirds of those were, com were uh, competitive. What was really, really interesting is if you look at the competitive renegotiation, so those to top two boxes, that when the deal went competitive, 70% of the time, more than 70% of the time, the incumbent lost some or all of the scope. So what that means is, for incumbent service providers, if your client is taking this work public through an RFP, you are most likely going to lose some or all of the business. It's too late once they've already taken it to market. And what this means for buyers of technology services, you can see over on the right-hand side is sort of like, why? Why did they lose the scope? It has nothing to do with technology, right? This is all about the relationship, but I feel like it's about the results that digital can drive into these managed services agreements. And that's about creating value for customers. And it's creating value for internal customers or your external customers. And that's what, for example, you know, moving to cloud and then to a product-aligned operating model and putting a huge amount of focus on your customer and iterating around that customer to get them awesome products, that's that digital transformation change that we think is then driving also these changes in managed services. And those providers that are adapting to that are, um, in a really good place, those providers that are not adapting to that are part of this that are losing that, that, uh, that scope. So I'm gonna hand it back to Jan Eric, just wanted to kind of set the stage for the disruption that we see in the market. Thanks, Stanton. So as Stanton just said, that there, um, many service providers are losing their business um, 
It used to be the flip side, where 66 to 70 percent of the incumbents won the renewal. And that's completely now on its head. And so they're asking, what is it that we need to do? Whoops. <clears throat> so what, they're, what we're hearing from the service providers is, you know, the digital game is about two things. It's about ecosystems, who am I partnered with, and platforms. How am I enabling digital easier? It's about, as he just said, showing strong revenues around digital. Being able to prove to your existing client as well as new clients that you actually have a digital solution that you can offer to them and that you're making money on it. Uh, what we're finding out is that the larger players are having a harder time, and this is what they're telling us. They're having a harder time actually putting that in place. The small medium-sized, more nimble companies are beating them, and we're seeing that in who's winning the deals. And so uh, the faster movers are those mid-sized companies. <clears throat> what we're hearing is a lot of noise around the, the ecosystems. Um, Accenture Cloud Platform, Accenture My Wizard, Aptos Canopy, Synbots, Codex, Capgemini Intelligent Platforms, um, Cognitive Doc Processing, uh, Cognizant Hive Center, HDL Dry Ice, Cognizant ev ev Evolutionary AI, DXC Bionics, TechEm's Tactics. What are all these things? Lucy, Holmes, Nia, Watson, Sophie, you name it. There are so many different names out there. It's very confusing. I mean, really what's happening, what we're hearing from the, the, the um, end client, and even what we're hearing from the providers, is it's a very volatile, uncertain, complex, and even ambiguous market to talk about what is digital. Um, so are all of these things services? Are they software? Are they platforms? Are they tools? They're actually all of those things. So, so much noise in the market is what's happening. What they're telling us <clears throat> is that they understand that they need to have more data engineers. They need to be trained in Agile and DevOps. They need to be able to enable their clients to move to the cloud. They're putting all those things in place, but is that all that's necessary? Absolutely not. <clears throat> what we're actually hearing from them and what we're telling them as well is that you know, they need to create those service technology solutions as a service. That they have to be able to offer them. That's what clients are expecting. They need to actually drive change and demand. They have to help their customers in that change management journey and actually understand what is the demand from the business partners. Um, we've always talked about lock-in as a bad thing. It's still a bad thing, but there's parts of lock-in that could be desirable. And that is if you create lock-in based on experience and the ability to leverage and utilize data effectively. So it's not locking you in because you have um, moved to their software platform or they have all of your data. That is happening and that's gonna continue to happen and it's becoming business as usual. What needs to change is the experience that you're gonna have on their platform. The understanding of how you can monetize the data. The providers are telling us that they are getting better understanding of all of those things and that's creating that uniqueness that is um, what is desirable from the, the client side. <clears throat> so there are really three patterns that we're seeing in um, this digital journey. One is around experience. The, the next is about intelligent data, not just data, but intelligent data, and then agile. So I have four daughters. I'm used to um, conversations like I have to have. 
I have to have the new iPhone, I have to have you know, AirPods, or Air, AirPods, I have to have the new iPad, I have to have all these things because everyone else is having them. I think that is the society that we live in. We feel that we have to have all of the latest technology. What's interesting, and part of it could be all of my daughters who are in the workforce now, is that they're influencing what's happening in the B2B space as well. More and more companies are saying, I have to have all the latest technology. Do we really believe that they have all of the platforms and all the software and all the things that they, that they need, or maybe they have more of it that, that, that they need? Actually, what we're hearing is that they need to have more choices. There needs to be more competition around what I'm going to buy so that I'm getting more value for my dollar that I'm, that I'm, I'm spending. And a lot of that comes with the ability to have better experience, understanding what is the end user's expectations, what experience do the people who are going to program those platforms, who are going to create that new software, what experience do they come with? And that's where we're really hearing the need from the service provider is that they have to change the, um, the, the people that they're bringing to the table. They have to change the people that are on site working with you. So the experience is really um, critical. The second piece is talking about intelligence about the data. It's not about my social security number or my address or that kind of data. It's actually about <clears throat> um, data that now comes in the forms of videos, um, images, sentiments, learning and understanding. It's not the volume of data that matters, it's how we're going to use that data. It is the intelligence use of data. And much of that uh, expectation is coming on the service provider. More and more of what we hear from them is how they are leveraging their platforms and their, their software and their tools to better enable you to use your data. And then finally is Agile. It's not about the project. It's not about having the best scrum masters and, and the best people experienced in Agile. It's about being Agile as an organization. Are you able to change? And a lot of that has to come from your relationship with your service provider. They better understand what changes they see in the market, what changes they see with your competitors, and can help you as an organization to be more Agile. That, of course, means they also have to be more Agile. That's when things begin to change. So there are four areas that they, uh, providers are telling us that they feel are a, an impact to them, that are um, uh, disrupting them in the service that they're delivering to you. The first one is technology becoming a commodity. Um, get, commodity to find something that's available everywhere, right? So technology, um, the cloud brings technology to anywhere on the earth. Open source makes more things available to anyone who wants it whether you're an independent programmer or you're working for a large company, all of those barriers to entry that used to exist don't exist anymore. And so providers have to be much more competitive. They have to understand what is available out in the market, and then they have to try again to be unique and to offer you something that you can't get. That secret sauce comes from that data intelligence as well as the experience that they have working with you, working with your competitors, working with um, the different industries. The second is just responding to how you do work. Uh, we've all um, heard that you know, automation is going to take away all the jobs. Well, it's taken away some jobs, but new jobs are being created. And so it's around uh, how you do work. What kind of ecosystems are you creating? 
Um, ecosystems, co-development, collaboration, those just aren't buzzwords anymore. That, those are real facts. Those are the things that make the difference between the providers that we name as leaders, because we're hearing it from the clients, we're hearing it from our advisors, and those that are just you know, treading water, are just keeping the lights on. So artificial intelligence um, is providing you know, huge impact across all of our, our markets, um, expanding that human capacity uh, is, and, and even replacing people. But artificial uh, intelligence is something that's not going to go away. We need to embrace it. We need to understand how it's going to impact us. And we need to look for providers that are leveraging those capabilities and bringing that best practice to us. Um, it's not enough from a skill shortage perspective to have blockchain programmers. We don't have enough data scientists. We don't have enough in per certain countries. Uh, clients are having the problem. All the industries are having the problem. That's not news to us, right? Those skill uh, issues have been around for a long time. There are thousands of jobs open every day. The problem is that they're not being filled because the right skills don't exist. There are people who are interested, there are people who are getting trained, but they actually don't have enough experience to be able to fill those jobs. So that's the issue that <clears throat> a lot of the providers are facing as well, is that uh, they can't train even all the university relationships they have. They can't train students fast enough because the market is changing so quickly. And so they're reskilling their own employees. They're, they're trying to create that motivation so that whether it's industry-specific or whether it's um, technology-specific, we as um, um, client, uh, not clients, as employees of those companies have to change our attitude as well. We have to be willing to be flexible and agile in changing with the market and not just say, you know what, I'm happy. I, I think back to my days in um, early 2000s when we had year two your Y2K crisis, and everyone said, I'm happy being a COBOL programmer. I don't know how to do any of that newfangled stuff. Well, we're in that kind of uh, an era again where people can't be comfortable in what they're used to doing and what they've been successful in doing. They have to be willing to do something new. So Stan, what are we hearing from the clients as far as maybe the automation piece as well as the still skills shortages piece? Sure, so um, what we're to kind of do is, is sort of sprinkle in some data here that sort of reflects, from my perspective, what we're seeing from our clients, uh, both as we work with clients and through our primary research. So just a couple of interesting data points here. And I think it's always interesting to kind of compare that to what we see uh, providers telling us. So what enterprises are telling us specifically on narrow AI, so the application of narrow AI techniques to you know, various use cases and business challenges is really interesting. So we did a study last year around the adoption of emerging technology, specifically around some narrow AI techniques. So one of the really interesting things that we saw is a double-digit increase in in-production instances of these three use cases. And so many of you, I've actually, our booth is right next to, no, I'm not uh, um, advocating for them, but you know, a pretty cool vendor that's doing this intelligent OCR work where they're really kind of you know, applying patent level technology down to medical documents to be able to lift layers off the documents and then be able to identify handwriting, because we all are used to, every time you go to the doctor, you handwrite everything you do. I don't know why that still is that way, but it is. Um, so there's an incredible amount of technology emerging, both through um, startup and um, you know, smaller uh, service providers and technology vendors, but also an increasing number of big companies, especially banks and, and insurance companies, are starting to build out their own data science teams to be able to build out these models to be able to solve these kind of problems. So the message here from what we're seeing on the enterprise side 
is a doubling of the in-production instances of these narrow AI techniques, a significant number uh, also planning, planning on implementing or uh, may implement in the future. I always kind of wonder about the people that say, we don't have any plans to do this, because that's always, I, I, I would be surprised if somebody had no plans to do it, because eventually it will probably happen. Uh, but the message there is, I think there is some, uh, somewhat of a disconnect between what we're seeing from our enterprise plans in, in terms of the adoption of AI versus uh, the degree to which service providers are adopting it. On the skills side, just another interesting kind of data point um, that kind of contradicts what we are, are hearing from the service providers, and that's around RPA. So I don't know how many of you are involved in your automation programs today. Actually, Ed and I were just talking about this. Um, so, you know, we did a study where we kind of measured automation capability across a number of qualitative and quantitative factors, um, you know, everywhere from what we would call a bot one dot organization that is kind of just getting started on their RPA journey, all the way up to a bot three dot organization that has deployed RPA across multiple functions within their organization. They've automated a number of processes. They're starting to incorporate intelligent automation into their RPA program. They're justifying their RPA, RPA center of excellence through things like returning hours to the business. So some pretty advanced capability around driving automation into their organization. And a couple of really interesting data points came out sort of on the, the skills shortage side. Um, today, and this is like, like the a flavor of the most advanced automation companies are saying that you know, they're primarily using um, in-house teams, I'm sorry, 17% are using in-house teams today. And then tomorrow plan on uh, more than doubling that up to 39%. And so my question, you know, when I hear that from our clients about we're planning on, you know, really scaling up our automation center of excellence is, are you going to find these people? I mean, it's a very tight labor market today, and these are not easy people to find. And that's just the kind of core RPA capability, not the more advanced automation capability. But it's also going to have, at least from the planned adoption from enterprises, a significant impact on service providers because enterprises are telling us they're going to slow down their use of service providers to help them scale their automation programs. And we hear this over and over and over again is that they're not automating fast enough. And the way that we see that reflected is through, not because they're getting into the detail of have you automated this process, it's that your process is too slow, too expensive, and has too many errors. That's a sign that you're not automating fast enough. We're hearing that over and over again from our clients that are buying services, don't care how it gets done, but I need better business results um, or cheaper prices or faster services, and that's a reflection of, of not automating fast enough. That's exactly right. The problem is, is it's not that easy to hire. Um, it's getting much more difficult. Cost isn't even a differentiator anymore. It's about the skills. The flat world is helping because providers are looking for skills everywhere in the world, and with the way we can connect. They don't all need to be in one country. They don't even need to be in the same continent. But they're looking for different skills and behaviors. What they're telling us is that I want new employees who know how to use the new tools that are very versed in artificial intelligence. They know how to leverage it. They know how to build it. And finally, that they have delivery experience, that they're not freshers out of, uh, out of college. Not that they're not going to hire freshers anymore. They are, but there's a different role for them. Um, <clears throat> what we did a study on contact center and and the the fear is that butts and seats that those contact center um, representatives were all going to go away because everything has been automated what's interesting about that market is yes there is a lot of automation but at a certain point you have the option to opt out and say 
the bot didn't solve my problem, so now I need to speak to a live representative. Well, guess who that live representative has to be now? They have to be smarter than all the bots. So it's not the low-end person anymore that just says, yeah, well, what's your problem, and press this button or do that. Now it's someone that says, okay, I know everything you've gone through, and the bot has tried to solve all these problems for you, and they failed. So now I have to step in, and I have to figure out how to solve your problem. I have to be a, a more intelligent um, agent. So those are things that you know, are really troublesome for the providers, but they are tackling it because exactly as Stanton said, they understand what the trend is and they want to try and reverse that trend. So Stanton, why don't you talk a little bit about the different skills and behaviors that our clients are actually telling us that they're looking for. Sure. So I'm, uh, maybe you have maybe seen this before, sort of this I versus T model when it comes to skills. I see a couple of nodding heads. So, um, so the idea here is that um, for the past let's say 20 years, you know, we've relied heavily on both as enterprises and especially service providers this I model, which means being very deep and specialized in a technology. Now, I, I would say on the, this is more of an IT view than a BPO view, because on the BPO view, it would be more like task specialization. On the IT side, it's more about technology specialization. So for example, being an Oracle DBA. It's been pretty good life being an Oracle DBA over the past you know, couple of decades, right? Um, that said, what is, is fundamentally changing is that as we move more towards a product-aligned operating model, and what I mean by that, by that is we're starting to move away from a plan, build, run model where we spend months and years planning our systems and then building big monolithic systems, and we're moving now towards more of an agile product-aligned approach, which says we're going to put the customer at the center of everything we do, and we're going to rapidly iterate our product to be able to get our product out to that customer as fast as we can, and the singular focus is delivering value to that customer, and that customer could be inside your company, or they could be outside your company. The challenge is when you do that, you start moving towards, as, as John Eric said, more of an agile model, and that requires you to be working in teams and in pods. Um, and those pods typically will work on sprints that may last a couple of weeks, and they're very iterative, and they're very team-based. And those types of people that you need for that kind of work are very different. And they're very different because the technology at the same time is converging. So in the past, we bought Oracle databases, and then we bought SAP, and then we bought servers. And now we can buy an integrated stack of technology that all appears to us as software from Amazon, for example, or from Microsoft. So what that means is now we're looking for people that, uh, you may have heard the term a full stack engineer, somebody that can do everything from the network, to storage, to the server, to the operating system, to the application, and manage it all. And they can now today, these people are hard to find, but they can now today because everything has been turned into software. So it's much easier for them to be able to manage that. It's still a hard job, but much easier to be able to manage that. So what we're seeing is a, really strong push towards this T model, which says not only deep in technology, but also the ability to work within a pod and an agile team, to work with customers, to be able to be able to do testing and deployment and to fix bugs when they come in. These are, like I said, not easy people to find. But I think the, the, the real challenge and opportunity here is, you know, it's like, a, it's like 4% unemployment in, in the US right now. It's an extremely tight labor market. I think we're like at the you know, at or below the long-term average. So, I mean, it is a very, very tight labor market. And so I think 
there's an opportunity for us on the, on the buy side, you know, to really be looking into new places to find this talent. I mean, we saw, uh, I thought it was really cool, in the um, Global Mall, there's, you know, South Africa was represented, Trinidad and Tobago was represented. I mean, I've been in this industry for a very long time, and I've never really thought about Trinidad and Tobago as a player, but when they were telling me about the, you know, the banks that are there and the skills that are alive, that's really cool and very interesting. So I think it's gonna be incumbent upon us to be able to tap into those new geographies in order to find these kind of skills, because they're, they're gonna be harder and harder to find. So as Stan said, the old model is dead, and that create, creates a lot of problems. We've all, whether we're on the provider side or the client side, we understand how that works. Five to seven year deal, First few years, they're not making anything. They're investing. They're bringing all sorts of people. Um, our mess for less. Um, that's all gone. Now we have outcome-based expectations. We want results immediately. Um, you can't work into it over the next couple of years. You need to show results immediately. I understand you have a new platform. Are you going to move me to that platform? You should, because if you don't, then I'm going to move to somebody else. Um, shared revenues. So the economics of the whole deal is changing. And I'll have Stan talk in a minute about the death of the billion-dollar deal. They are dead, um, but there are completely different deals that are on the table now. So those long contract paybacks that from the provider side, and I, I worked on the provider side for a while, I mean, those were really easy to, to lay out. We knew exactly at what point we were going to break even, at what point we were going to start making money, and then at what point we were, like, fat and happy. And that was the way that we all understood that it worked. And we were fine from the enterprise side because those providers were investing in us. They were improving our infrastructure. They were bringing in new software. They were bringing in new skills. But that really doesn't work anymore. It's not the lower price. It's the higher skill that we're looking for. Um, so the, the contract values are reducing. Um, but uh, the problem is, is that the cash is not there. The, the, now it is. It's just moving the cash from the right pocket to the left pocket and being ready to invest. Because what we're saying to those providers is, if you don't move your clients, if you aren't proactive in doing what they're expecting, your competitors are going to step right in and they're going to take it away from you. And you heard from Stanton that 60 plus percent lose um, their incumbency. So Stanton, tell us what the advisors are seeing out in the market and what kind of deals we are really seeing. Yeah, so, um, so you know, the, uh, again, kind of looking at this from the, the, the enterprise perspective, actually, this, this actually came from, I'll, I'll mention Ed again, this actually, we, we developed this research because of a question that Ed asked about a year ago on our question, and kind of like, what happened to the billion dollar deal, and, and um, what does that look like today? So the main message here is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm um, advocating for my enterprise clients, and that's where I'm, I'm really, really focused and really interested is, you know, why is this buying behavior changing? But we had to kind of go prove that this is actually happening to show that, yeah, contracts are getting shorter and smaller and, um, uh, and ACV is decreasing. So just as an example, one of the things that we did, we looked back 20 years ago and said, you know, how many billion dollar deals were there out in the market? And you can see 20 years ago, we had almost 20, the average ACV at 32 million and the contract duration at, at five years. What has happened is if you fast forward now two decades, Almost everything's been cut in half. So we had about $8 billion, $8 billion deals in that time frame uh, up to 2018. The average ACV is down to $15 million in the average contract value, not in half, but about down to 3.25. So the reason we did this is, you know, kind of intuitively, as we work with many of you on the buy side, we know that deals are getting shorter and smaller. Um, but we wanted to kind of prove that out through data. And I think that this, you know, my view is, 
especially for those of you kind of in a vendor management procurement function, you know, responsible for kind of looking out about what's kind of becoming over the next three years. I actually think that we're sort of done shrinking. Like, I think we're going to flatline here, and I actually think this is going to start increasing again. So, um, you know, I, it does mean one of my, you know, points towards the end here is, you know, if you're in that kind of vendor management procurement role, you know, it's got to be more of everything. I think that's going to continue. But I do think that we've seen sort of a floor in the ACV and in the contract term um, for managed services deals. So I think that'll be important to keep in mind for the future. Yeah, so Stanton mentioned um, when we look at the contracts that we report on a quarterly basis, the as-a-service market is the one that's growing. So what does that mean to the providers? Well, they're a little nervous about it because there's a lot more pressure. Uh, they need to um, perform, as I said a moment ago, immediately. It can't be over the long term. Product life cycle, oh, I went, went too fast, sorry. <laughs> the product life cycle requires new skills. Um, just like with any software that we buy, we expect to have upgrades on a regular basis that reflect what's going on in the market. Well, the same thing happens when you move services to as a service. You can't just offer the same service for, you know, even months at a time. You, you have to be evolving all the time. There's a lot of risk um, um, from a provider's perspective when they enter into that kind of an agreement with you. Um, the pace of innovation has really changed, and they're feeling all of that pressure. Now, the good news from their side is, okay, I've moved all their data to my platform. All of their applications are using my application logic. I pretty much have lock-in, but it's not the lock-in that was a great thing back in the day when you bought a piece of software and you, know, you were stuck with it. You're still sort of stuck with it, but you, you, your, your, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Your aff affection or your, your love for that service uh, is, is short-lived. Uh, they have to prove it out very quickly. So now the lock-in has to be based on my knowledge of you as my customer. It has to be based on the user experience that I'm able to bring to you that you can bring to your client. So those expectations, if they can meet those expectations, then as clients we should be willing to be locked in because we're getting better and more service than we've ever had before. They're not ready for that yet. They're, they're afraid of it. They recognize it. They see that as a service market growing. They know they need to be part of it. but. All of these risks are the things that they are bringing to our attention and that they're talking about um, what they can do to solve it. Stanton, just bring it home with the last couple of slides. Yeah, so the as-a-service, you know, we talked about earlier, that's a, you know, 20-plus percent growth um, year over year. Um, you know, we think that's going to continue to grow, so that means, again, um, if you're on the um, sourcing, vendor management, procurement, legal, you know, uh, side of the fence, that's going to mean, you know, a lot of standard contracts, which, you know, is, has um, been really hard to reconcile after going through 20 years of, you know, highly customized contracts. But I think we're finding a happy medium there. I'm starting to see some movement with a lot of the leading cloud providers to come um, more amenable to terms that terms and conditions that are uh, more enterprise friendly. Um, so I think that that's going to, to, to start to change. But I think if you look at the, the, the as-a-service impact, I think it's important to look at it from both sides of the equation. So if you look at it from, so from Jan Eric's perspective on the, you know, as, he, as he studies and research, researches the service providers, I mean, you have to remember that this is a massively disruptive um, technology and trend for them. If you look over on the left-hand side of the, the screen here, we went back and looked. Um, if you go back you know, five to seven years, if you look at the ratio of software to services, it has changed dramatically. So if you think about this from a service provider perspective, you know, five to seven years ago, let's say, for example, if you bought a million dollars of Oracle software, 
Back then, a service provider or a systems integrator could count on three to four times revenue of that software spend. And that's because you have to go implement it and customize it and maintain it. And maintain, for example, multiple Oracle instances across the globe, all each with multiple non-production environments. Um, so that was a huge disruption to them as we moved to more of this cloud model where that model you know, no, is no longer needed, those multiple environments. There's one multi-tenant instance. So some recent research that we just did said that you know, that ratio is now down to one to one. So for example, if you buy $500,000 of, of Salesforce licenses, a systems integrator or a managed service provider can count on $500,000 of revenue. Um, and remember, it's so not only is it less revenue, but it's also more churn because they have to sell more of them to meet that number. So that's a really, really disruptive trend. I, I, as an enterprise advocate, I say tough. You know, that's the business we're in. Cloud's amazing, and so you got to go change your business to make it happen. Um, but I think it's important as a buyer to understand that the, the pressure that they're under, and that obviously creates, um, you know, not not only insight for you, but also ability to to potentially change the the way that you think about the market. On the enterprise side, um, obviously there's been a lot of disruption as we you know, integrate cloud into our operating model. I think one of the really interesting things that's happening now, though, is this linkage between the, um, the technology and the commercial model. And what I mean by that, and I'm going to show you here on the screen, if you think about what we kind of talked about 10 to 20 years ago, more kind of traditional architectures, so monolithic applications like a mainframe or a mid-range. Um, that you use a kind of a plan, build, run model to build it out and plan it and then sustain it over multiple years. You know, we were kind of using as we hired service providers to help us, you know, either implement or maintain those, kind of using more fixed pricing and time and materials models uh, or commercial models to pay for those services. What I think is really interesting and is starting to emerge as we move towards more of an as-a-service product-aligned operating model is that the underlying what we would call resource units those are the things that sort of create the price are changing. And now we're starting to see a lot of movement towards more uh, models like pricing per story point or per feature or per sprint. Um, and that changes then the way that you need to be thinking about the commercial model that when you engage with a provider. And that also means linking these commercial models to the underlying technology because the technology is changing away from these highly monolithic big applications that take years to implement Two, more horizontal, distributed, open technologies that can be stood up very, very quickly, um, but they iterate on over two-week sprints, right, in order to get an MVP out on the market. Now, that does not mean it's easy. I know a lot of, uh, probably you, and we see a, a, a number of large companies really struggling as they sort of try to change these contracting models to, to these new, um, uh, to these new type of resource units, but the, the message here is it's important to be thinking about linking the technology to the commercial model because the technology is fundamentally changing. Therefore, the way that we evaluate and buy these services needs to change as well. So what are we telling service providers they need to do? One is specialized. You can't be everything to everybody. Maybe in the past when it was easy to find skills and to stand it up and you know, make money over time, but that's not true anymore. So specialization is important. Um, find delivery um, complementary providers, um, uh, ecosystem partners, uh, the hyperscalers, um, acquire firms that have the capabilities that you're missing. We've seen a lot of, of M&A activity. We think there's going to be a lot more. Um, that's a quick way to stand up and to meet the client's needs. 
nurture your platform. So if you're going to put a platform out, and, and that's what we see happening all over the place, you need to keep it alive. It needs to be the best one out in the market, and there shouldn't be any question in your client's mind that they're getting what they need out of that. <clears throat> Move your partner or your clients to those platforms, because if you don't, um, your competitors are going to do it. Um, what we're seeing is new competitors coming into the market. Their ability to create a platform in an area that they've never even worked in before is amazing, and it's happening every day. And finally, remember the value of your experience, making the data intelligent, and, and helping not only your client, but your own organization to be in an agile mode and how you're able to change. All right, we said we were going to get you out of here right on time, um, so I have 120 seconds to wrap up. So, um, so the message for on the, the buy side for our, our enterprises here in the market, I think it is absolutely a buyer's market. It's an amazing time to be buying services, and it's an amazing time to be buying services because there are service providers that are rapidly driving digital into their offerings, and that means somewhere up, sometimes upwards 30, 40, 50 percent improvements in speed, reduction in issues and problems and data errors, cost, um, seeing some really amazing results as the next two years there's 2,100-ish broader market contracts up for renewal over the next 24 months. And so we think there's going to be a tremendous amount of innovation as um, competition heats up, but also digital sort of infuses into these services and is going to give you the opportunity to really take advantage of that. Um, I said earlier, be prepared for more of everything. We think the market is getting bigger. It's not eating itself. Is there some cannibalization happening? Of course there is, but we think the market's going to get bigger, which means more contracts, more service providers, more technology vendors. Um, I encourage you to stop thinking about towers. It doesn't mean that they don't exist anymore, uh, but they are slowly starting to, and I think it's going to speed up, being um, depreciated more for products. So you're going to be increasingly sourcing and evaluating service providers based on the products that you're offering your internal customers or your external customers. We talked about linking the commercial model to the, I'm sorry, yeah, the commercial model to the underlying technology, understanding that if you're buying uh, more of a loosely coupled architecture, right, the, the resource units that you need to, um, that underpin that contract are gonna need to look different. Remember that not everything needs to be moved fast. We talk about agile a lot, but it doesn't mean that everything has to be agile. If you have a mainframe that's running, it's probably expensive and it's probably hard to find people to, to, to staff them, but we see a number of organizations saying, listen, I just am not, I don't need it to move that fast. I've decoupled it from a lot of my front end and so it's fine. Doesn't mean that everything has to move fast. Remember that talent's at a premium for both, for both you and for your service providers, but that's an awesome opportunity to, to leverage service providers given that their scale and their global reach. And then finally, I, I didn't really mention anything about third-party risk, but um, you know, I think this is going to be a huge issue over the next decade as we move to more of these um, loosely coupled architectures with technology services distributed out all over the world, more service providers, more technology vendors. You know, thinking about the systemic risk that that introduces to your organization, not only from your third parties but from your fourth parties. So the interconnectedness of this supply chain of technology is really pretty incredible. Um, and I encourage you to be thinking about risk, not only in your kind of traditional onboarding of providers and doing risk assessments, but ongoing monitoring um, to make sure that you and your organizations are, are going to be set up for the future. So final reminder, go to our um, um, booth uh, and, and pick up some of the information that we have. 
If you don't want to visit us, there's that card at the back of the water cooler. Just pick it up. There's a QR code on it. You can take that survey. There are a pair of Apple AirPods, AirPods. sitting on our table that Stanton is dying to take home. <laughs> and I'm not going to let him do that because you guys, if you'll take the survey, if you take the digital workplace one, you're entered in once. If you take the digital business transformation, you're entered in twice. Uh, I want one of you to get it, not not him. So you know, don't please go. It. Don't take it. No, go no, take no. that survey, and um, if there's any questions, uh, we've got our business cards. We're happy to to answer. We sort of took more time than than we could and should have. Uh, we don't have time for Q and A, but it's really been nice to have all of you here. I hope that it was worth your last session to invest with us, and um, we're happy to share our research and any of the findings that we have. So thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. Enjoy the conference. <laughs>